Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, July 9th, 2015. All right, we are going to be all over the map today. And I, I, I guess I mean that literally. for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to open God's Word and compare what God's Word says in context, using sound biblical exegesis and good hermeneutics, to test to see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, and folks uh, put forward by the evangelical and industrial complex is those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying and whose uh, materials need to make up the uh, the material, uh, the uh, curriculum of our small group Bible studies to see if what they're teaching us is what God's Word really says or if they're teaching uh, false doctrine, twisting God's Word and teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. And over and again, we find there are very few of the really popular types that actually teach... <laughs> biblical Christianity. Yeah, it's it's almost like a rule of thumb now. If somebody's book is going viral and everybody says you need to read it and you know it's a Christian bestseller, yeah, probably best to avoid it. You know, that's not always the case, but uh, generally that's what's turning out to be true. All right, let's talk about what we're going to be doing on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, by the way. We are literally taking an international excursion, if you would. We are going to be all over the place. We're going to head to South Africa. We're going to head to, uh, I I don't know if this guy's in India or not, but we're going to be doing a little bit of an international roundup, if you would. We have a story uh, regarding Hillsong. Yeah, it seems like we've been picking on Hillsong a lot lately, and I'm, I generally try to avoid, you know, overdoing or oversaturating, uh, you know, any one church or movement. Uh, try to get the range, if you would, and uh, and so, but uh, this one was just too good to pass up. Uh, the, uh, the you know, why are uh, Hillsong churches good for you, you know for uh, different countries to have? Well, Brian Houston's going to answer that in this uh, news story. And what's funny is is that he says it isn't all about the money, but <laughs> yeah, see, one of my one of my criticisms of those who critique Hillsong 
um, at, at least the, in the mainstream media, is is that the only thing they really understand is the money angle. And the the thing is, is that they don't understand biblical Christianity. They couldn't tell you what sound biblical doctrine is, and they don't understand that the money machine that Hillsong is, is in part a result of their theology. The theology is always in the driver's seat. And uh, and so, in yes, Brian Houston in the past has taught the uh, the prosperity heresy, and I don't think he's ever repented of it, but I think he's tried to tone it and dial it back a little bit you know uh, uh, you know he was getting too much flack and i don't think he uh, likes that and so he's dialed it back a bit but uh, still you know uh, hillsong is a money making machine and uh, i don't generally like to overemphasize the money thing although from time to time when we're dealing with our money grubbing televangelists i mean it's so flagrant it's so blatant that these people are fleecing people and just uh, you know promising the moon uh, if they just send in a you know a seed offering and stuff like that. But uh, so we, we're gonna we we have a Hillsong update. We're gonna listen to somebody we've never listened to before. Uh, Doctor Jonathan David um, claims to be a prophet, and uh, again we're we're going all over the world today, and uh, then we're going to. Uh, <laughs> We are going to be heading to, I don't know where this woman was speaking, but um, the uh, there's a uh, woman that we're going to be listening to, and uh, her, her name is Apostle Jane Hammond, and uh, she's speaking to an international group, and she needs a translator, and uh, and so she's going to be talking about the need for us to have Deborah's now. It's like a women international women's conference, and she's from KingJesusMinistry.org, and uh, yeah, that's going to be fascinating. And then in hour number two, we're going to be heading to South Africa, and we're going to be listening to a sermon from Harold White's. Uh, that's W E I T S Z, and uh, it's his text for the sermon is uh, the wedding feast at Cana, and he is so far astride from any kind of lucid hermeneutic that I had to make an executive decision. And I, and I do have executive decision authority here at uh, at uh, Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, which helps. But I, I had to decide that we were going to turn our sermon review into an actual sermon cage fight. And the reason for this is that I think we're going to have to hear this text rightly handled and properly exegeted with good law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins, and uh, a Christ-centered hermeneutics. And uh, so we we have our undefeated heavyweight champion of uh, uh, sermon cage fights, and that would be uh, Pastor William Swirla from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. And uh, so we'll be listening to his sermon entitled Washing Water to Wedding Wine, and uh, it's on the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, I believe. And uh, and then we will listen to uh, Harold White's attempt to tell us what this is about. And, and I had to turn it into a sermon cage fight for fear that if you didn't hear this uh, passage at least rightly handled, that you would leave this episode of Fighting for the Faith utterly discombobulated theologically. And we don't want to uh, leave you discombobulated. No, <laughs> we want. And so, so I was, you know, as I listened to the sermon for the second time, I thought, I don't know how to untwist what he's twisting. Um, 
if you've seen photographs from the American Civil War, uh, there was a, a phenomenon known as uh, Sherman's uh, neckties. It, uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, the uh, the Union general who uh, made his famous march to the sea, and, uh, and you know, you know, went from Atlanta to Savannah, Georgia, and just you know, totally it was scorched earth policy. Uh, what the, his uh, Union soldiers did, they would take take the railroad tracks and uh, put the uh, you know the tracks into a you know a fire and get that the, you know the iron gro- uh, glowing red hot and then they would bend them into neckties is you know they would make all kinds of fun things out of them and so i i was listening to Harold White's and i thought this guy theologically is doing to the scriptures what Sherman's army did to the railroad tracks i don't think there's any way to actually untwist <laughs> what he's doing so we're just going to put him in the cage fight with uh sermon cage fight with uh, william swirla let swirla just manhandle him and uh, then you won't leave this this episode of fighting for the faith totally dis- discombobulated so th- that's what i intend to do with today's episode of fighting for the faith so i strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover and uh, since we're going to start off with what would be kind of an international if you would Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update that requires us to do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I bought a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are, standing in a row. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly That's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Now, we're heading to Malaysia. I double-checked my notes here. Yep, we're heading to Malaysia to listen to um, Dr. Jonathan David. A guy claims to be a prophet, and uh, you can find him at jonathan-david.org. And uh, he and his wife... uh, Mum Helen are, you know, supposedly pro- 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 prophetic pioneering trailblazers and things like that. And there are a lot of folks in Malaysia who are being referred to his ministry and uh, hearing from listeners in Malaysia. This guy is wreaking all kinds of havoc there and literally, you know, destroying the lives and the faith of people. At least that's what I'm hearing uh, from our Malaysian listeners. And so I'm, go- I'm going to go ahead and uh, review, if you would, just a little bit of uh, what this man teaches. And so we're going to go for, you know, listen to him giving a prophetic word uh, there in Malaysia. So here is Dr. Jonathan David. We'll see if this guy is a real prophet of God or if he's, uh, well, a, a huckster who's uh, found a way to make, uh, you know, a, a good living, if you would, uh, fleecing God's sheep in the name of Jesus, but is in fact a waterless rain cloud. This is one of the uh, ways in which Scripture, the book of Jude, describes false teachers. They're waterless rain clouds feeding only themselves, and they are wandering stars. You can't actually navigate by them. But here is Dr. Jonathan David. Here we go. 
Extraordinary prophetic fulfillment. Oh, no. So he's kind of taking his chops from uh, Joel Osteen. Protection, Protection. progress, Progress. prophetic word promise, promise. proceeding word fulfilled, open heaven secured, abundant provisions released. Under the shadow of the Most High, awesome protection received. Yeah, already we can tell by listening to this whatever thing that they're having people uh, recite that abundant uh, prophetic uh, provision released or whatever. Yeah, he's one of these guys you can tell already his emphasis is on basically promising you uh, you know financial security and wealth and things like that. Uh, and so he's uh, one of these guys who clearly is already, you can tell he's, you know, in the stripe of person who, well, wants your money and then promises, promises that God will release things to you if you give him finances. Enabling grace imparted. Enabling grace imparted. Accelerated progress achieved. Accelerated. Turn to your neighbor this morning and say, make possible the impossible. Make possible the impossible. Uh-huh. How about, you see, I hear something like this, and it just baffles my mind. And the reason for it is is that uh, this sounds eerily like a creed, but this is not you know, one of the historic creeds of Christendom. You know, I mean, listen to what he's saying and compare it to this. this I'm going to read to you the Nicene Creed. Here's what it says. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. And was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And by the way, this, the Nicene Creed was not, you know, was not invented at the Council of Nicaea. Instead, uh, what the Council of Nicaea did was take something that was already in ex- existence and in use within Christendom, and something called the Rule of Faith. You know, you can find the Rule of Faith kind of in an earlier form uh, in the writings of the uh, Church Father Irenaeus and his writings against the heretics. Uh, particularly the Valentinian Gnostics. And you'll notice that it, it's Trinitarian. You know, it, the, the only time I is mentioned is w- when you say, I believe. And so you're confessing Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier, you know, things like that. And so that was the basics, the skeletal outline that they taught Christianity 
to people who were learning the Christian faith. They, they used the rule of faith to teach them the basics of the Christian faith. And, uh, and so the Nicene Creed, you know, was formalized and uh, they had to tweak the rule of faith a little bit, if you would, in order to, uh, you know, to combat the Arian heresy. But I find it fascinating. Here's got people reciting these nonsensical words that clearly Dr. Jonathan David concocted on his own. And these are, these are not statements that, you know, Christians through the millennia. Keep in mind, Christianity did not begin yesterday or the day that you were born or the day that your pastor was born. Christianity has been around for millennia. But so the idea is that Christians through the, the millennia have never confessed what Dr. J, uh, Jonathan David is having these people confess. This is a confession, and it's a really awful one. All things are possible. Things are Nothing, is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Impossible is possible. Impossible is possible. So do the impossible. Hallelujah. Put your hand and thank him. Amen. Good morning. God bless you. Please be seated. Turn with me if you have your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 21. So that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens remain upon the earth, or like the days of heaven upon the earth. So notice the verse he's going to has to do with the Mosaic Covenant and the promises associated with keeping the Mosaic Covenant. That's kind of an important thing. A lot of guys who twist God's word... They'll quote Mosaic Covenant uh, promises and try to smuggle them into the New Covenant. We're not under the Mosaic Covenant. God spoke to the fathers. He spoke to the forefathers, gave it to the fathers, and gave it to the children. God is a generational God. I say God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a generational God. The days of heaven on earth is beginning for us. Uh, The days of heaven on earth is beginning for us. Yeah, when you hear somebody talking like this, oh, hide your wallet. Can I say amen to that? Will you say amen to that too? No. Because the Bible tells us very clearly that God, the days of heaven on earth is going to begin for those of us who believe. I'm not sure about for everybody, but for those who are going to fulfill certain requirements in the spirit. Uh, so you got to fulfill certain requirements in the spirit, and then you can experience heaven on earth. Uh huh. Is this like a gauntlet? You know, like American Ninja kind of thing. Certain requirements in the spirit must be established. Can you say amen to that? No. That's why 2014 is going to be an important time because it's going to be extraordinary moment. Extraordinary moment. God's been preparing us for these moments of glory. You know, you prepared Joseph for a long time, but for that moment of glory for him to connect with Pharaoh and begin to turn Pharaoh's kingdom around. Oh, yeah. So God, just like he prepared Joseph for glory, he's, he's now prepared them for glory, and they're going to experience, you know, heaven on earth, right, if, if they meet certain supernatural requirements. So that when, by the way, when you don't experience heaven on earth, uh, Jonathan David can look you in the eye and say, well, you just didn't meet the, the specific, you know, spiritual requirements in order to have heaven on earth. So it's all your fault that this isn't happening to you. Of glory is going to begin. When God puts us on that high visibility, 
is going to give us maximum impact. Amen. It's going to give us not only high visibility, but we will be able to do the job when we arrive on the scene. Good morning. I say when we arrive on the scene, we must be able to do the job. It's no, no longer important just to have an opportunity. We're not asking for opportunity. We are making preparations for the days that's going to happen. We're creating all the avenues that is needed, the studies that is needed, so that when we arrive on the scene, we, are we will not only just be faithful, but be fruitful, multiply, have, take dominion, take over, and begin to bring about new strategies that will dismantle Babylon and begin <laughs> yeah, to take on new strategies that will dismantle Babylon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't sound as foreboding, you know, when you call it Babylon. Yeah, Babylon. Yeah, that gives that sends shivers. But as soon as you say Babylon, you know, it's like, well, yeah, it sounds like an infant version of Babylon. You know, God's kingdom power in that place. Amen. Something sovereign is about to happen, and how how does this take place? The Bible tells something sovereign is about to happen. That's a weird modifier for something that's going to happen. In verse eighteen. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and so that you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be the frontlets of your on your foreheads. You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the, the road. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Bible is very clear. That if you want the days of heaven on earth, how many want the days of heaven on earth? So if you want those days of heaven on earth, you, be, you better, you know, get to meeting the spiritual requirements. You know, as laid out in, you know, the book of Deuteronomy, which is, you know, specifically Old Covenant stuff here. That to happen, you've got to engage with the word differently than you've ever done before. Okay, so i got to engage with the word differently. Okay, well, what if I was doing it right to begin with? How do you know I have, I have to do it differently? There is a new requirement. There's a new demand coming from heaven. Uh, oh, a new demand coming from heaven. I'm so glad that I tuned into this Malaysian channel here. Because, I mean, you know, most of the time I'm watching, you know, like the U.S., Great Britain, and, uh, and Australia, New Zealand. And I didn't even think to, you know, tune into Malaysia so I can figure out the new requirement that God's demanding. Right. In 2014, for us to take God's word seriously... To take God's word, he who hears his words of mine and acts upon it. Not just hearing the word and not doing, deceiving ourselves. But hearing the word and acting on it. Even if you take a little, little at a time, it's going to become fulfilled in the future. A little bit. Line upon line, precept upon precept. God wants us to take that word so seriously that we engage ourselves with the word. So notice everything is law here. This is all do, 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 rather than believe and then bear fruit in keeping with that belief. Only that everyone who engages themselves with the word is going to see the days of heaven. If you, if you share it with your children. So you're going to have days of heaven on earth if you just, you know, do it differently and take it seriously. If you took God's word seriously, then you'd discover that this guy is not teaching the truth. If you speak it with your elders, you speak it in your church, you speak it in your business, you, wherever the word of God is engaged, the days of heaven is going to come. If you speak to your children, then you and your sons and your children and your sons and sons will begin to see the days of heaven. Say, my days, my days. and the days of my children will be like the days of heaven on earth. Because I take his word 
and I sow, and I plant it in the right places. Every place where that word is going to be sown, the days of heaven on earth will be there. So you've got to engage the word, not only believe the word, but begin to sow in the area that you believe that's, that heaven must open. If it's in your business, then speak it into your business. If it's in your ministry, speak it into your ministry. If it's, it's in your career, then speak it into your career. Whatever mountains you're in, you've got to speak to the mountains. Say to yeah, the yeah, speak to the mountains. Speak, the, speak it into and you know, all this kind of stuff. So this is word of faith nonsense. Sadly, we've uh, exported this heresy and Jonathan David has picked it up and is, uh, you know, basically tested positive for the word of faith heresy here. And say, say, say to the mountain, declare to the mountain. But you don't declare just what you, what, what you, what you know. You declare what you hear from him. So when you begin to speak what you hear from him, that in that place, the supernatural things will begin to happen. I see the word of the Lord is going to come to great fulfillment quickly because the proceeding word is going to come to us at the right time, at the right moment. This will be the favor that God is going to do for us, that He will always keep our ears open and cause our eyes to see and our hearts to perceive. There will always be an open heaven so that He can speak to you face to face, not in a vision, not in a dream, not in, not in shadows and signs and times, but He will speak to you plainly, He will speak to you clearly. And this is the portion that God is going to give to us, a hearing ear and a seeing eye. This, the days are coming when you will no longer have eye shades upon your eyes. You no longer have veil over your eyes and over your mind and over your heart. So the days are coming when all of these things are supposedly going to happen. And, and basically, when you hear somebody talking like this, they're a false prophet. They're taking biblical words, pouring out the biblical meaning, and basically stringing together things that sound like they're biblical and promising you the world if you would just, you know, get in line with whatever nonsense he's putting forward. None of this is lucid thinking. I can see why uh, we're hearing from Malaysia that this guy is wreaking all kinds of havoc. If you know anybody who is uh, a follower of Dr. Jonathan David in Malaysia, you need to warn him. The guy is a false prophet. He's a Bible twister. He's not hearing from God. And it's clear that, uh, you know, he's got a real money motive in a lot of what he does. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be uh, heading to another country. I'm not sure where this took place, an international women's conference. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. Python's Flying Circus Church. 
Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey. I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, Now, look. Now, look. Mate, I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for fire starter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus... Uh, uh. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop, and, uh, well, we're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio... Very well, I'll give them a try. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God, and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture. I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, 
Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that all these people running around the landscape claiming to be prophets and apostles, uh, that they're not. And that's a good thing that you don't think that. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to, you and to the world. And you can partner with us, I'm stumbling over my words here, by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That is a great way to support. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. Let me thank you for your support, because we truly cannot do what we're doing here without it. And just a reminder, if you uh, would like to attend the Pirate 2015 conference, it's the anti-conference conference that gives you the ability to come hang out with us. You know, not a huge auditorium, small church, intimate environment, great place to, uh, you know, to get to uh, know us and uh, and hear us lecture on good theological topics in topic. We will not fill your minds with nonsense about how you're the next generation who's going to come and experience heaven on earth if you just, you know, get your uh, your spiritual ducks in a row. You know, nothing like that. We're going to be talking about Coram Deo, Coram Mundo. This is myself, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Pastor Jordan Cooper, and Pastor Jeremy Rohde will be presenting on these topics. And uh, we really, truly are looking forward to uh, meeting the, uh, the listeners of our audience at this event. And it's going to be at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. And, uh, and it's the last 
It's the last Wednesday and last Thursday of the month of July, so uh, 29th and 30th of July, and it starts at 1 o'clock each day, so 1 in the afternoon until early evening each day, and uh, we really look forward to uh, meeting it. Yes, we will be recording it, and if we break even, we will make the audio available for free. If not, then we will have to charge a nominal fee in order to make up the loss. We're not trying to do this as a uh, fundraiser. So uh, anyway, again, uh, piratechristianradio.com, using a web browser from a, a computer, click on the conference link at the top, and it's only forty nine ninety five to attend. Hope that you can do that and look forward to seeing you there. All right, we're still under the auspices of the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. We're going to switch gears, and we're going to be listening to um, uh, Apostle. Yeah, Apostle Jane Hammond, Apostle. Yeah, considering the fact that the uh, apostolic office is closed, I find it fascinating that there's a woman claiming to be an apostle today, but Apostle Jane Hammond from the Now Deborah's Conference, yeah, the Now Deborah's Conference, put on by uh, uh, the Apostle Guillermo Maldonado. Yeah, and uh, yeah, to an international audience, if you would. And uh, so what, let's tune in and listen to Apostle Jane Hammond as she fills the heads of these women with spiritual nonsense that isn't biblical Christianity, that focuses them on themselves rather than their crucified and risen Savior. Here we go. You're women of God that are destined to change history. Son mujeres de Dios destinadas a cambiar la You're women of God destined to change history. Really? Really? This is what you're telling them the Christian faith is about? And you're an apostle, really? Jesus sent you. Amen. Amen. Now please be seated and open your Bibles. Por favor, ahora tome asiento, abra su Biblia. Open your Bibles to wherever the Holy Spirit shows you. Y abre donde quiera que el Espíritu le guíe. <laughs> what? Prophetic women of God. A ver, mujeres proféticas de Dios. We're going to go to Judges chapter 5. Bueno, vamos a Jueces capítulo 5. As you're turning there, let me give you the definition of this concept of tipping point. Y según van llegando allí, le voy a... The concept of tipping point. The Bible teaches the concept of tipping point? Never seen that doctrine in the Bible, and especially in Judges chapter what, 5? La definición de este concepto del punto crítico. It is the point at which something becomes irreversible and unstoppable. Es aquel momento donde algo se torna irreversible y es ya no se. Yeah, irreversible and unstoppable. You know, like the rank apostasy and heresy running through the uh, church today. We we passed the tipping point a long time ago, right? Tener. This occurs because momentum builds up. Esto ocurre cuando el momentum se empieza a acelerar y a formar. Oftentimes slowly and quietly. Y muchas veces de manera despacito y de manera calladita. Until it reaches a point where it is impossible to go back to a previous state. Pero hasta que llega el punto donde a partir de allí es imposible regresar al estado anterior. After this weekend, y luego de este fin de semana, it will be impossible for you to go back. Les va a ser ustedes imposible regresar a lo mismo. Yeah, let me translate that. Um, in other words, uh, it's going to be impossible for you to go back to like Orthodox Christianity after spending a weekend at the uh, Now Deborah's conference put on by Guillermo Maldonado. You'll never be able to return to historic Christianity. From that point on, you will have hit a tipping point and will be apostate. Right? I think that's what she's talking about. The door to the past 
will be closed. La puerta al pasado queda cerrada. And the door to your future will be open. Y la puerta a tu futuro queda abierta. Yeah, but if you believe that this is Christian doctrine, your future is kind of dicey when you get to the day of judgment. And I mean that literally. Now we're going to talk about Deborah today. Vamos a hablar hoy acerca de Deborah. Because this was a woman who changed history, history in a critical moment. Porque esta fue una mujer que cambió la historia en un momento crítico. The scripture is filled with people that changed history. Y la escritura está llena de personas que cambiaron. Yeah, the scripture is filled with people who had faith in God. If you really want to kind of understand what is going on in even the Old Testament, especially in the New, everything is hinged on faith. You know, how is it that the people of uh, the Old Testament did what they did? Well, actually, God did it through them. Well, Hebrews 11 makes it clear. Uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by faith the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household, and by, by this he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, he, keep in mind, Noah didn't change the world. N no, he didn't. Noah believed God, that God was speaking the truth, that he was going to destroy the world via a flood, and he constructed an ark according to what the plan that God had gave had given him. And we also know from, uh, you know, is it Second Peter or First Peter? I forget offhand that uh, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. This is a man who for 120 years preached that people would repent. And how many people repented of their wickedness, believed in the promises of God for the forgiveness of their sins, and got on the ark and were part of the passenger section of the ark. Well, answer, the only other passengers aside from Noah and his wife were Noah's sons and their wives. So Noah preached for 120 years, and his preaching got him, well, didn't get any converts. Only he and his family were saved. So what this woman is saying, oh, it's all, people changed the world, changed history and stuff like that. Yeah, that's not exactly true at all. In fact, um, the world continued to persist in sin and unbelief, despite the people of faith that uh, are mentioned in Scripture and their stories are told to us. To Esther, he said, you are brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. A Esther, él le dijo, te traje al reino para un momento preciso, justo como este. And you're not Esther, and I'm not Esther. The mother of Jesus, a Maria, la madre de Jesus, said, "Lord, be it unto me according to your word." Dijo ella, "Sea mi hecho según tu palabra." And when, she, yeah, and uh, you're not the Virgin Mary either. Said that she changed history. Cuando ella dijo eso, uh, she changed history. R really, really, yeah. Um, she believed God. She was another one of these people who did what she did by believing, by having faith. 
toda la historia. God didn't just save you so that you could be blessed. Y Dios no te salvó simplemente para que te quedes allí siendo bendecido. Yeah, when somebody starts talking like this, God didn't save you so that you can be blessed. God didn't just save you so that you can have your pie in the sky and all this kind of stuff. They're they're going to focus on the imminent and basically say, "Oh, it's up to you. You've got to change the world. You're supposed to be a world changer." No, we're not. Christians are to be disciple makers. And, you know, that's done by ordinary things, you know, baptizing, teaching. Yeah, discipling is a pretty common, ordinary thing. Yeah, it's you know, not world-changing, and you know, for the most part, at least if, if it has some significant impact. Oftentimes, the people who are discipling other people in the faith, they don't see that impact in their lifetime. God didn't just save you to save you from hell. Dios no te salvó solamente para rescatarte del infierno. He saved you so that you could be a world changer. Él te salvó para que... Yeah, you got a passage for that because Judges 5 doesn't say that. Uh, Apostle Jane Hammond, I'm just unfamiliar with the world changing directives of Jesus. Una que cambies el mundo. He saved you so that you could battle for nations and generations. Te salvó para que batalla. Battle for nations and generations. No, I, we're called to make disciples of all nations, not battle in the way you're talking. De naciones y generaciones. He saved you so that you would do the impossible things and make them possible. Él te salvó. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> this lady has a lot in common with that nut job from, uh, from Malaysia. Oh, you, you're saved so that you, the impossible can become possible. And so when the impossible stays impossible in your life, what are you going to say about that? I mean, where in Scripture does it say you, you, God saved you so that you can do the impossible? There's no biblical text to teach this. Some of you came here this weekend facing some impossible situations. Such as, give me an impossible situation. How many have some impossible situations? Just a few. I heard the Lord say this. Uh oh, she's, she's getting a download, folks. Yeah, <laughs> you flee the building. She claims she's getting direct revelation. Señor, decir esto. Stop expecting what seems to be inevitable. Para de esperar aquella cosa que parece ser in- really, God's telling you to tell these women this. I don't think so. Because the devil wants to tell you his outcome. Porque el diablo quiere decirte cuál sería el fin según él. But rather raise your face in expectation. Pero más bien levanta tu cabeza y levanta tu expectativa. And let the God of the impossible. Y deja que el Dios de lo imposible. Come in and shift things in your life. Entre- There we go. Famous yeah, charismatic nonsense. And let and, and let the God of the impossible shift things in your life. Oh yeah. Well, Yeah, that, that, wow. Yeah, I got to write that down. God's going to shift things. It doesn't mean anything. Cambia las cosas en tu vida. bring you to a new end. Y que te traiga a un final conforme él. He wants to make you the head and not the tail. Él te quiere. Yeah, notice this is a one-size-fits-all prophecy, apparently. Él por cabeza y no cola. He wants to make you above and not Yeah, verses out of context. It's turned into prophetic slogans, but uh, she's not teaching anything that has to do with what God's word says. He wants to get you ready to change the world. Yeah, I don't think so. If that's what God was trying to get me ready to do, then he would do that with his written word. And since the written word doesn't teach me that God's preparing me to change the world, yeah, I'm like 999%, not 99, but 999% positive. 
God isn't the one speaking through you, Apostle Jane Hammond. Because, uh, again, the apostolic office, in order to hold the apostolic office... Scripture's clear in Acts number uh, in Acts chapter 1 that you, you have had to have been with Jesus during his earthly ministry from the time of his baptism in the Jordan River until the time of his resurrection and you need to be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. If you can't say you've done that, you're not even qualified to fill the office. So and there's no other living apostles right now that could, you know, throw the holy dice to see who's qualified today, you know, or, or to, which of the candidates God's going to choose. So you ain't no apostle. You are an apostle of, uh, well, of the synagogue of Satan. You're, you're an apostle of false, you know, demonic teachings, but you're not an apostle of Jesus Christ. Que cambies el mundo. Listen, nations are in a tipping point moment. Escuche, las naciones están en un punto de cambio crítico. A week after the Lord spoke that to me. Una semana después. Yeah, again, let's make this clear. The Lord's not talking to her. Because if the Lord were talking to her, she would absolutely be trembling in her boots because he'd be saying something like, repent of your false prophecies. These are not words that I have given you. And if you don't repent, I'm going to throw your scrawny little carcass into the fires of hell. Yeah, that's what she would be hearing from God if God were speaking directly to her. You know what I'm saying? Me habló aquello. Violence broke out all over the Middle East. Se desató violencia por todo el Medio Oriente. And here in America, every time you turned on your television, aquí en los Estados Unidos, siempre que prende la televisión, you heard one of the news commentators, uno de los comentaristas, say Egypt is in a tipping point. Dice alguno, Egipto está en un momento crítico. Libya is in a tipping point. Libia en momento crítico. The Middle, Middle East is in a tipping point. Todo el Oriente Medio en punto crítico. And it's up to you to save Egypt in Libya from their tipping points. God has made you for such a time as this. I want to say America is in a tipping point. Y le digo, Estados Unidos, America está en un punto crítico. Your nation may be in a tipping point right now. Y la nación suya puede que también esté en un momento crítico. Your life, your family, your business may be in a tipping point moment. Su vida, su familia, su negocio puede también estar en un momento crítico. But God is saying that he is giving us victory in the tipping point. Pero dice Dios. Uh-huh. And God's saying he's giving us victory in the tipping points. Yeah, um, yeah, 9,999% sure she ain't hearing from God the Holy Spirit. I don't know who she's hearing from, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, hang on, yeah, that's sulfur that I smell there. Yep, she's not hearing from the Holy Spirit. She's hearing from the spiritual realm, all right, but it's the sulfuric type, if you know what I mean. Moving along. Praise the Lord for all the cash I've Time got. for a quick Hillsong update. Praise the Lord, he's made us millionaires. Wave your donations in the air. We've replaced our hymns with ATMs. And soon we'll charge a fee on every prayer. Jesus Christ was a poor man, don't you know? He should have used our accountants for his cash flow. Stop the sermon on the mount, he should have had a bank account. Two thousand years with interest. He'd be rolling in the dough. Praise the Lord, this 
songs out on CD, just 4095 plus GST. Hallelujah, Lenny and Moolah, Solitaire Corbels on my Christmas tree. I've got all of heaven's riches, thanks to all you stupid men. our Hillsong update. Praise the Lord. Um, now, what we're going to be listening to is a, 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 a seven news uh, story out of Sydney, Australia, and uh, about what is it that makes Hillsong so successful, Hillsong. And, um, and in this interesting you know, look at the growth of the empire of Hillsong, uh, they <laughs> Brian Houston says something that is just like <laughs> face palm bad but uh here i'll, I'll let the uh, the news people there in sydney explain here here's seven news in sydney australia welcome back hillsong continues its global expansion and will soon have a presence in 14 countries its numbers are growing on the back of its highly commercial church music division hillsong founder brian Houston. i feel like i'm listening to a, you know a, a bloomberg business report I mean, I, I'm waiting for the crawler on the bottom of the screen to show the stock price from Saddleback, Elevation Church, New Spring, and Hillsong. You know, <laughs> oh man, it's convinced Australia has a lot to thank his church for, saying its growth at home is spreading economic benefits. What? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, that's, that's right. According to Channel Seven News, there in Sydney. Um, the uh, the growth of Hillsong is it, it's a good thing for the economy, international economy apparently. But uh, we continue. Lining up outside a theatre in Los Angeles, not on a path to conversion, but already converted. I went to Hillsong, New York City for a couple times and I loved it. They really care about you as an individual and I think that really touched my heart when I first started coming here. They're preaching to the converted in London too. We said, where do we go on Sunday in London? Brian Houston never imagined such popularity when he founded Hillsong at Balcombe Hills in 1983. So what is the secret to the church's success? <laughs> That's a great question. It, it's a miracle as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, actually, the secret to their success is actually quite simple. Uh, yeah, uh, it's found, by the way, the secret to their success is found in 2 Timothy, say, uh, of all places, 2 Timothy uh, chapter Four, listen to this. Um, I charge you in the presence of God of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, uh, preach the word. Uh, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching or doctrine. Uh, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There's a simple reason why Hillsong is as popular as Hillsong is, is that Hillsong makes a very concerted effort to, well, put forward a positive ear-scratching message and not really deal with the idea of sin, grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins, and, you know, things like that. I, the chances of you actually being convicted of your sins and realizing that you have absolutely nothing to offer God at a Hillsong church, 
yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, instead, you're going to be told how great you are, how great your destiny is, and not to give up on your dreams. And and you're going to come away after the rock and roll laser light show uh, just feeling uplifted. Yeah, in fact, it's like walking on a cloud. You know, it, you, your feet don't even touch the ground for at least a day and a half after you've been to Hillsong Church. Uh, but see, the problem is, is that Christ in Luke 24 makes it clear that we are to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins, which requires us to preach both law and gospel. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, yeah, they don't really do that there. In fact, uh, you know, I find it, this is all kind of, you know, it really made clear with the fact that Hillsong, when asked direct questions, leaders of Hillsong asked direct questions regarding homosexuality, they, you know, get all squishy and evasive and don't really answer the questions. You know what I'm saying? So there's, there's a reason why, you know, Hillsong is just as successful as they they are with all of the success and now international camp around the world helping the economies of the world it's because they have perfected the art of scratching the proverbial ear yeah in Australia, services attract 38,000 worshippers a week, 100,000 across the world. They're now held in 12 countries on five continents. Soon it will be 14 countries, with Brazil and Argentina added early next year. Beyond the churches, there are three Hillsong record labels, a film and television production house, global conferences and an international leadership college in Sydney. And I think about the impact on the economy. Uh, yeah, the impact on the economy. Yeah, I'm thinking about the impact this is having on the body of Christ, specifically due to the fact that you've uh, created this fad that uh, that doesn't preach sound doctrine and call sinners to repent and to be forgiven. Yeah, Australia's got a lot to thank us for. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So Australia has a lot to thank Hillsong for because, I mean, they're single-handedly holding the entire Hill uh, Australian economy up, you know. Seriously, I mean, you know, if if you uh, happen to invest in you know international currencies, any place where there's a Hillsong, you know, you might want to you know buy those currencies because I mean, Hillsong is single-handedly you know impacting the economies in a positive way. From being thankful, many Australians are still skeptical about Hillsong and believe the church's success is not a cause for celebration. It's the Aussie way, isn't it? If something you know successful and to people it doesn't make sense. You criticize it. Yeah, I don't care if it's successful or not. What I care about is what you're preaching. And every time I tune into a Hillsong sermon, I'm not hearing sound doctrine. And I'm not hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and sinners being called to repent of their sins and to be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. Overseas haven't helped. Brian's father, Frank, confessed to child sex abuse. There are constant questions about the wealth Brian has amassed from the church and, more recently, backlash over a controversial preacher's sexist comments forced Hillsong to drop him from its conference. Yeah, but then they snuck him back in via recorded video, yeah. So Driscoll is dropped, but not really dropped. And says the movement is misunderstood. So I do understand not everyone understands it, but it's disappointing when people trivialise it or marginalise it. Not that the detractors will deter him. Still a lot of cities in the world we could reach. It seems only a matter of time. Yeah, resistance is futile. You will be assimilated into the Hillsong 
brand, if you know what I mean. Okay, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to do a sermon cage fight. And I have to do this so that you don't leave the sermon review today totally theologically discombobulated. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc., but simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. This would be our normal sermon review spot, but we're going to have to switch it up a little bit in order to prevent you from experiencing theological brain cramp and things like that that could happen if we were to actually do this using our standard format.
got a tradition we got to follow here, so you ready? Here we go. That's right, folks. It's time for a sermon page fight. We don't have these very often here at Fighting for the Faith. Two pastors enter into the octagon. Only one leaves. <laughs> well, that's not exactly true. We're going to be hearing a sermon from Pastor William Swirla and a pastor from a gentleman we've never reviewed here at Fighting for the Faith. And uh, his name is uh, Harold Weitz, W-E-I-T-S-Z, and he's in South Africa. But uh, let's go ahead and back off on the prelude and let's get to it. So here we go. Ready for a sermon cage fight? Let's get ready to rumble! All right, now I need to warn you all here. No wagering is allowed during our sermon cage fight. That is against the rules. Y'all ready for this? Yep. Our first contestant today, if you would, in our sermon cage match is Pastor William Swirla from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church, Hacienda Heights, California. His sermon is entitled Washing Water into Wedding Wine, and it's on the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Sermon number two, contestant number two, is Harold Weitz, and he is actually from Little Falls, South Africa, and we'll be listening to his sermon on the same text, Releasing the Power of God's Will, Releasing the Power of God's Will. So that w- that's the setup for today's sermon cage fight. Let me back off on the music, and uh, before we actually get into the fight itself, uh, I need to read to you the text that forms the basis for both of these sermons. Again, the reason why we're doing this is really a uh, protective measure to protect you. But here's the text that we'll be looking at today. Uh, Gospel of John, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what? does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the water jars with water. They filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves, Uh, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Yeah, we'll, we'll stop there. You get the idea. And this will be the basis. This will be the text that both of our uh, sermon cage fighters will be preaching on. And so without any further ado, here is the undefeated sermon cage fighter himself, Pastor William Swirla, and his sermon entitled Washing Water to Wedding Wine. Here we go. In the name of Jesus. Amen. On the third day... There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there along with her son and some of his new friends. On the third day, the creative day, 
in which the word called forth vegetation, including the grape from the earth. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so the third day. The third day, the day of fulfillment and resurrection. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up again. On the third day, big and important things happen. You got it? Good. Yeah, I got it. Now, notice he's playing on true, good, biblical typology and pulling in all of the different you know, dots, if you would, throughout the scriptures regarding the importance of the third day. At Cana in Galilee, not in Jerusalem, not in the temple, not in Rome, the seat of political power, but in lowly Cana, backwoods Galilee, the hick country in the north, despised, looked down upon, a land of half-breed Israelites and religious semi-heretics. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, the prophet Isaiah once said. On those dwelling in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined in that circle of the nations, Galilee of the nations. Galilee means circle, the little circle of nations up in the north. That's where Jesus first shows his glory, at Cana in Galilee on the third day at a wedding. It's all set up perfectly, too perfectly, perhaps, perfectly as only God can. The location, the timing, the event, a wedding. What better event to manifest your glory than a wedding? God often referred to his relationship with Israel in terms of bridegroom and bride. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And so a wedding... And not just any wedding, but a wedding with an impending disaster. The wine had run out prematurely. This was a social gaffe that went beyond bad. No more wine, and the feast would end. And yet the feast was supposed to go on. Maybe it was due to the unexpected number of guests that showed up. Maybe it was due to Jesus' disciples. Who knows? Mary gets involved, however. They have no wine, she says to Jesus. And Jesus appears rather snippy about it and doesn't seem to care. What's that to us, woman? My hour has not yet come. It strikes our ears as a bit strange, the way Jesus says this. First, he seems to be rude to his mother. But he actually isn't. He's more hyper-respectful than anything else. Not rude. He does not address her as mother, and that's significant. He will not let her pull her apron strings on him. You know how mothers can be with their sons. He is Lord to her even as she is his mother. And so he calls her woman instead. Woman is a title of respect and dignity. It is a formality. The next time Jesus addresses Mary as mother is on the cross. 
where he entrusts her to the care of his son or of his disciple John. Now I got to pause here just to let you know I'm I am keeping score through the uh, sermon cage fight, and already Pastor Swirla has racked up five points. I'm giving him points for good biblical typology, careful attention to exegesis, and pulling in of. of perfectly good cross-references that help us understand what's going on in this text. He's doing a fantastic job. So he already has racked up five points. Woman, behold thy son. File that away. You're going to need that later. My hour is not yet come. His hour is the hour of his glory, the hour of his death, the hour that he hangs in the darkness on the cross. This is why Jesus came. Not the- okay, another three points for that reference to the cross. My hour has not yet come. And cor- giving us the correct reference there for what Jesus was referring to for his, uh, the, what was his hour. To fix every little problem, including a wedding party that had run dry prematurely, but to die as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in dying... He takes care of everything else as well. And so even this sign, and it is a fun one, you have to admit, changing water into wine. Don't you wish you could do that every day? Hmm? This, even this one, this fun miracle costs Jesus his life. Miracles do not come cheaply, and that's why he points to his cross. My hour has not yet come. These are signs of who he is and what he has come to do, and what his death and resurrection will accomplish. A new creation, new life, and joy. Mary seems confident that Jesus will do something, even though he doesn't seem interested. We don't know why, but Jesus must have done something to indicate his willingness to help, because Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That's really a good verse to keep in mind, by the way. They are the last recorded words of Mary in the scriptures. Again, great attention to details. i got to give him another three points. We continue. Do whatever he tells you. So if you want to heed Mary's advice, you would do very well to heed these last recorded words of hers in the scriptures. Do whatever Jesus tells you. Great application. Another two points. You. For example, when he says, trust in me, trust in him. When he says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, believe it and be baptized. When he says, this is my body and my blood given for you, do this in remembrance of me. Well, you know, do whatever he tells you. All right. Great applications. Another two more points for that. Now, there were six large stone jars there at the house. Six. That's one shy of seven. Seven is divine fulfillment. Six is not quite. Six, awaiting to be fulfilled, to be filled up. They were there, John says, for the Jewish rites of purification, whether for the guests and their hands or for the bride and her wedding night, we don't know. It does leave you with the kind of amusing thought, what are they going to do after it all becomes wine? (laughs) 
trust Jesus, I suppose. All we know is that there were 180 gallons or so of washing water that were prescribed by the law. And Jesus says to the servants, fill these up to the brim. That's what he came to do, to fill up the six stone jars of the law of Moses with himself to the brim to fulfill the law and the prophets. Another great tie into biblical typology. To fill them up with his own perfect life and obedience as living water come down from heaven. And then he says, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Nothing else. No words, no actions, no waving his hand over things, no big shows, no prayers. Jesus doesn't lift a finger. Just fill the jars with water and then draw some out. Remember, do whatever he says. It all rests on Jesus and the servant's obedient trust in his word. What happened was that washing water became wedding wine instantaneously, not by fermentation as happens ordinarily, but in an instant without the intervention of Robert Mondavi or a grape. And this is not wine-flavored water either. No diluted wine, no de-alcoholized wine, and no, God forbid, grape juice. This is wine, vintage wine, not two-buck chuck, but the finest of the feast. We're talking 98 on the wine spectator scale. Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, our translation says, let me clue you in on the Greek, when people are drunk That is, when they have drunk so freely, there are a few sheets to the wind. Then the lesser wine is served, obviously, because their tongues are dull. But here's the clincher. You have kept the best until now. Now, there's a fully loaded sentence, if ever I heard one. You have kept the best until now, last. God has reserved his best for last, for now pouring out the finest vintage of his grace at the end. Everything in this event at Cana in Galilee points to the cross, the day, the hour, the use of woman to address Mary, and this sentence. God's vintage wine is Jesus himself, poured out for the life of the world in his death, poured out in the water and the blood that flowed from his side that fills the baptismal font with washing water and fills the chalice of the supper with wedding wine. Oh, wow. (laughs) That is brilliant, brilliant gospel. Whoa. I, 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 I don't think I've seen anything quite as masterful as that. That's at least 10 points. Wow. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's from John's first chapter. And that verse is the key to this sign. 
This is what changing washing water to wedding wine means and reveals. That the law came through Moses, but something greater. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Someone greater than Moses was here. Someone greater than the commandments and someone greater than the religion of the old covenant. The law of Moses signified by those six stone jars of water cannot bring joy to a wedding feast. Clean hands, yes, but happy hearts, no. And who wants to drink bath water anyway, huh? Right on. Oh, man, is this good. The law cannot save us. Commandments cannot bring us life and joy. Oh, we think they can, and oh, we are suckers for the religion of rules and regulations. But it doesn't work any more than 180 gallons of bath water can gladden the hearts of wedding guests at a feast that has gone dry before its time. (laughs) Man. Oh, man. Just that—that that is a jujitsu move that gets rid of all of legalistic self-righteousness. At least another ten points for that. Wow! Wow! I'm, the law of God leaves us as sinners in a dry and joyless system of do's and don'ts, of thou shalt's and thou shalt nots. It's a dry county, my friends. This doesn't mean that the law is bad. It's not. It's just that it can only clean the hands, and it cannot purify the heart, nor can it bring joy to the sinner. And that's where the problem lies for you and me. Perhaps you've experienced this for yourself. You read the law, say the Ten Commandments or the Catechism, some article or a book that dwells on what you should do, what you ought to do, what God wants you to do. And as promising as it all seems in the beginning, you find yourself as you go on and on becoming weary and desperate and frustrated. And you might even find yourself becoming angry and even worse, judgmental of others who aren't doing it. And you start to measure and compare how you're doing with everyone else. And there's no joy. There's no party. There's no wedding feast. The law with all of its measurements and standards and qualifications and condemnations has sucked the joy right out of your life. It's like a wedding feast run dry. It's like living in a dry county. Mm. No teetotaler Jesus here, huh? (laughs) You know, people might expect Jesus to say, good. They've had enough to drink. I'm glad they ran out of wine. Let them sober up. You know, we expect to say that. We expect Jesus to say that about our lives, too. Get in shape. Keep the commandments. You need them. You need to work hard. You need to improve on yourself. You need to be all that you can be. No, that's the Marine Corps, isn't it? Yeah. You need to do like I do. Do what Jesus did. But that's not what he does. That's not what he says. He does something completely unexpected. He takes the law into his own hands and he fulfills it with himself. He takes... Amen. Wow. This is so good. Takes those six stone jars and he fills them to the brim with perfect obedience, with his perfect righteousness, and he dies a perfect death in our place. And then he draws out from those stone jars something wonderful. Not more rules, not more regulations, but wine. 
joyous, glad wine, vintage wine, his blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins in his great and glorious hour upon the cross. Truly, my friends, God has saved the best vintage for last, for now, for you. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And you, as baptized believers, are privileged to taste and see that the Lord is good, to sample his vintage, and to have a foretaste of a marriage feast that has no end in his kingdom. You are part of it. You are in on it. And like those surprised guests at Cana in Galilee who got to drink wine from heaven that day, because Jesus was among them. That's why. His disciples believed in him, it says. They trusted him. They took him at his word. Notice not everyone there believed in him. Not the guests, not the wine steward, not the bride or groom. His disciples. They were the ones who heard and saw what happened. The miracle alone does not create faith in Jesus. It only creates faith in miracles. If you have, if all Jesus is good for is changing your water into wine, then you're going to want it each and every day and more of it. And when it stops coming, you look for another Jesus. That's not. Yeah, that's right, too. More points for that, at least three. We continue. How this works. The disciples made the connection that this Jesus whom they were following was the Lord of creation. He was the one who called forth vegetation from the earth on day three. He was the one who created and ordered all things. He is the word in the flesh dwelling among us. Notice this, te- this sermon is all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and what he has done for you. Three more points for that. We continue. And he does what only God can do in only the way God can do it. At Cana in Galilee, on the cross, here in the sacrament of his body and his blood, Jesus manifests his glory for faith. He is here to feed you with the bread of his body. He is here to gladden your hearts with the wine of his blood, shed for the forgiveness of your sins, to bring you joy, joy overflowing, joy unending, so that you too might believe in him and live. Truly, God has saved the best for last. And for that, we praise him. And the peace of God which passes our understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Wow, that was brilliant. Great law, good gospel, and oh man, masterfully, properly handling the biblical typology and focusing everything on Christ and what he has done for us. Let me tally up the points that I gave him during the sermon. That's 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 56. Yeah, Pastor Swirla weighs in with our opening round here in the sermon cage fight with a score of positive 56, showing that uh, Pastor William Swirla, I mean, this is why he is undefeated in every one of our sermon cage fights. All right, sermon number two uh, comes to us 
via Harold Weitz, and he is in South Africa. And his sermon on this same text entitled, Releasing the Power of God's Will. Releasing the Power of God's Will. And uh, we'll see how... uh, Harold White's uh, stacks up with the masterful biblical exegesis, solid Christ-centered, cross-focused, proper distinction of long gospel preaching of Pastor William Swirla. Here is Harold White's. Father, now let your word, let your word build your people, encourage your people, strengthen your people, bring faith to your people. All of these things happen to your glory. We thank you, Lord, that we are here to serve you, all of us. And thank you, Lord, that you will, that very, when you said you open up the windows of heaven and that blessing that you spoke of, that you actually meant, that you actually intended, because they are faithful and this is their storehouse, Lord, therefore I pray that those blessings So many blessings that you place upon this church. And I think it's because of our prayer shield, because many people here that are well devoted to God, and they're praying, and they're serving the Lord. And Your prayer shield? Um, Yeah, there's no such thing as that. Uh, Got to take away two points for uh, mythology. Sorry, Uh, we continue. Faithful and, and, and. And now, Father, as they're also faithful in their giving, Give them that blessing that you meant, that you intended, that you saw that would happen in the abundant life of the righteous. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. Thank you very much. And uh, where do I ever begin? I again am loaded with a word, and it's so beautiful uh, how the Lord is, you know, just all the time... Uh, busy with us. I want to go to James chapter number 1, and I'm going to read to you in James 1, uh, I'm going to read the, uh, uh, shall we say, the 21st verse, the 21st verse, okay, uh, and, and it's going to build up in a direction, and uh, I just want to thank the Lord for giving me open eyes. I tell you, I'm seeing things, and it's nice. I was walking in the back praying. While yeah, sorry, taking away three more points for preaching about yourself. While you are in the front, and you're busy praising, and I'm praying, and, and this is all happening behind. There's a passage here, and I'm up and down the passage, and I'm busy praying, and I'm just saying, thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of your people. Just look at all these people in the church. Just look at the faithfulness. It's the middle point here, almost now, of winter, yet they just come to God. And um, the Lord gave a word, and uh, I think it's, for me, it's always been... Yeah, that's another five points taken off for claiming to be receiving direct revelation from God. If I still had one sermon to preach, that kind of thing, somebody wanted to preach that. And if I still had one sermon to preach, that would be the word that I would choose, this one here. Uh, it, uh, let's look at 21, James 1, 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness. Everybody say holiness. Everybody say purity. Everybody say morality. 
Everybody say righteousness. Okay. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness. Meekness is never weakness. When I left home this morning, I thought, me, a person that is kind and humble, meek, is not weak, is actually strong, is actually self-controlled. Okay, but be as it may. Uh, the implanted word means it's seed that goes to the depth of the soul of the spirit, changes us, which is able to save your souls. What are you reading from? Then, verse 22 says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face, a natural face in a mirror. So this is the pretext before we get into John 2. The word is like a mirror. It shows you what's wrong in your life. For he observes himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. The word is like a mirror. And in a world, I want to just say, um, let me just read verse 45 I get back to that. Uh, he who looks into the perfect law, perfect law of freedom, liberty, year of liberty. The Pope has just announced that next year is a special year of liberty for the planet. Uh, so what? Like the Pope has any clout with uh, biblical believers? Not just Israel. Joining with Israel. It's also the beginning of a... Yeah, i got to take off another six points for the Pope reference. We continue. Super Shmita. I'll talk about that. Yeah, Super Shmita, another negative uh, four points for that. Later on, if I have time. The perfect law of liberty. And continues in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer. Everybody say doer. Everybody say practicer. Of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, all right, now if we look at that, I want to go to verse 24. And in verse 24, the uh, New King James says, For he observes himself, goes away immediately. So you're looking at the word, you're listening to the word, you're coming to church, or you're reading the Bible, or you're at the work quickly before you start your day in the office, you close the door a moment, read a verse, and you say this chapter for the day, and you begin your day's job, whatever it is, or perhaps. At home, whatever, you read the Bible. Uh, you, you, you actually are looking at a mirror. This book is a mirror. You observe yourself. And then it says, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Let's take it again. This time from the Amplified. For he thoughtfully observes himself. Every time we preach the word Thoughtfully observe. Yeah, another negative uh, four for uh, preaching from the Amplified. We continue. Observes himself, then goes off and promptly. Everybody say promptly. But they can buy a phenomenon fast. Forgets what kind or what he was like. Okay, the word shows up what we like. And we forget what we like and we revert to the wrong way of living. And it's not the kingdom lifestyle, a way of thinking. And I went on to the Kenneth Vish translation, uh, as, uh, and it says here, 
uh, in this. So reading James out of context to go heavy-handed on the law shows that he does not understand the proper distinction of law and gospel. Another negative six points for that. Uh, absolute scholar of the Bible, and I think he was the one that inspired the Amplified Bible. Uh, Kenneth Lewis, and he- yeah, it's saying that the Amplified is uh, inspired. Yeah, no, it's not. That would be another negative two points. He, he says, moreover, keep on becoming doers of the word and stop being hearers only. Stop being hearers only. Reasoning yourselves into a false premise and thus deceiving yourself. Reasoning yourselves into a false. You can reason the wrong way. You must notice that. Because if, as in the case of Anyone is a hearer of a word, of the word, and not a doer. This one is like a man attentively considering in a mirror the face with which he was born. Okay, we are born with a sin nature. We receive the sin nature from our fathers and mothers. Take okay, some. I'll give him a point for that because he, he's correct. We are born with a sin nature. Salvation to change that. For he took one look at himself, and he was off, and he immediately forgot what sort of person he was. So the word brings to our attention what's right, what's wrong. We're living in a world, now I can talk a little bit prophetically because there's a mixture. Oh my goodness, I'm loaded. Yeah, another negative two points for claiming he can uh, speak prophetically. There's a little bit of, of, of prophetic. We're living in a world, follow me now, that is so significant what's happening around us that it causes me to feel like you get the goosebumps and your hair starts rising. Okay? Now, let me just tell you something here. When I talk prophetically, I am N O T. Not date setting as some do. Cause okay, so claiming to be a prophet and making a distinction because apparently he's not date setting. Another five points lost for that. We continue. Because it is written that no one knows the day when the Lord returns. Glad to know you're not a date setter. How many of you agree with that? Now, least of all the devil. I heard one person say, well, the devil knows and the devil is planning and the devil is doing this and the devil. And I thought to myself, how stupid can you get? It is clear. No one knows that hour. We have the signs of the times. They are birth pangs. They will increase in frequency. And there are pointers. They are, you know, it's like Jesus says, how is it that you don't understand the signs of the times? It means you're actually capable of discerning, judging. You're actually a, a capable of realizing something's going on here. And this is biblical. And I must be alert so that this day doesn't overtake me as a thief in night, which is always unexpected. So, we're in a year that is so significant. I thought I could just give you for example. Let me give you one example. This year, at the end of the year, in September, you may have heard that the Pope is going to Philadelphia. 
Now in Philadelphia hangs a bell, which I've seen. It is the, the Liberty Bell and it has the verse of the year of Jubilee and Liberty, the verse that you find in Leviticus 25, the whole description, it has the verse there of the sounding of the trumpet that bell hangs in Philadelphia, he's going there. Okay? So, what makes that significant? Because it happens to be that we're speaking about the beginning of the birth pains. It happens to be that the current Pope is the Pope number 266. He's going to meet with both the United States President, the leaders of the world, between New York and Washington in Philadelphia at the time that we're talking about the end of the year, on the 200, now he's the 266th Pope, he goes there, goes to the White House on the 266th day of... Okay, we're going to lose another 10 points for this papal numerology thing that has nothing to do with sound doctrine. ...the year, and a human to be born, pregnancy or gestation period, from conception to birth is 266 days also. Yeah, that doesn't count for any biblical knowledge. Another two points lost for that. Boy, he's going downhill quick. Right? So we read that he made a special announcement that this is going to be the year of Jubilee. And the Jews call it the beginning of a super Shemitah, which begins with the blowing of the shofar or the trumpet on the day. Now, I'm not talking about Rosh Hashanah because that's when the Jewish New Year begins. I'm talking about the Day of Atonement, there's the trumpet blows. And when that trumpet blows, that is this year of Jubilee. And you can read all about it. I haven't time to talk about it now. Leviticus 25, just remember that. Go. Yeah, Leviticus 25 doesn't tell us anything about a super Shemitah. And uh, yeah, this is a guy who's clearly succumbed to the winds of false doctrine that are blowing through the church and happily passing them along. Go read what happens there and the high priest and what he does. It is so prophetic, it's actually scary. Now, going from there, we're saying that we're living in a critical time and we can't set the time, and people are guesstimating when the rapture is, and the this, and the that, and Harold does not do that, because Harold does not be that stupid. I'm talking about myself, I'd be very stupid. And if you, you, you follow these things, you've got to follow the, the, the real scholars, the people that have the real anointing, and it's always the golden highway. Because you'll get Mr. Nobody Knows that will say the rapture takes place on such such a date. It goes to 511. That means the dustbin, trash can. Okay. John 2 verse 1 I want to take you to now. Now, we've just had a verse which speaks of that we're to be doers of the word, right? Now, also... If we see that uh, 
in verse, I'm just going to refresh you on verse 25, which I read. Verse 25 of James 1, before I start reading John 2 verse 1, just listen. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that word liberty, and continues in it, if you continue in my word, if you stay in my word, you abide in my word, and is not a forgetful hearer, but is a practicer, a doer of the word, this one who practices, listens, trembles at the word. Yeah, and the reason why he's he read that James passage is because he wants us to be doers of John 2 and the wedding feast at the Cana at Cana of Galilee. No joke. That's why he read that verse because he wants us to be doers of John 2. <laughs> and for which he loses another four points. We continue. Respects the word. Fears the power that is in the word if I should get disobedient will be blessed in what he does. The person that catches the blessing is the person that does the word. Now I can immediately say to myself, immediately, what does the word approve and what does the word not approve? If the word does not approve of something, that means it's out. And I cause myself major calamity. It's like it is. Now, you want to see what happens. We go to John 2 verse 1. The person that obeys and does what the Lord says is the person that catches the blessing. <clears throat> and funny enough, this is... So this is blessings by works righteousness. He loses another five points for that. The very thing that the sermon was that was preached on the day that I gave my life to the Lord. Now I'm preaching it for the first time ever. John 2 1. Put on your prophetic ears and mind now. On the third day. Third day. Okay, yeah. After two days, he will revive us. And on, on the third day, when the third day is there, it begins. The third day is seen by many of the scholars as the millennial day. He will raise us up. It speaks of the day of the Lord. Resurrection. Okay, Isaiah 66. Awake you who sleep in the dust of the earth. Resurrection. After two days revival. How many of you believe there's a revival coming to the church? Now come on. How many of you believe there's a big revival? Yeah, if there's a revival coming to the church, then the Christians will throw you out on your ear. Coming. The final harvest. Right? Now on the third day, Jesus... The Christ, the Messiah, begins what I see here, the Edmunds Companion to the Bible calls it the Messianic Age. How does he begin the Messianic Age? Because now the clock begins to run. The third day, there was a wedding. How many of you know that there is also a heavenly marriage, marriage supper of the bride and the bridegroom when the bride and the bridegroom is forever and ever and ever and ever in the eternal age united. Right? All right, I'll give him a point for uh, connecting the wedding feast to, well, you know, Jesus' wedding, so to speak. Typologically, he's not totally out to lunch. 
How many of you know that Adam and Eve in the glory before their fall was a type of Jesus and the bride? How many of you know that in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 you read about marriage and I speak concerning the Lord and the church? How many of you know that we married to another, even Christ the Lord, Romans chapter number 7? Here is the bridegroom. He goes to a wedding. What wedding? Where? He goes to Cana of Galilee. There could actually be two places. My choice is Cana of Galilee, but there's, uh, uh, there's Kirkana, which is another one which just sits north of Nazareth. And could be any one of the two, but I think in the archaeology, I, th- I do think it weighs more towards this one here. That we're, it's, you drive down to the Sea of Galilee and you pass through it. There are two churches there that claims the site. He goes to a wedding. Who goes to the wedding? And the mother of Jesus was there. He's always been, you believe it, the perfect obedient son. As he grew up, and he would set the example to every young man, young woman, of what it's the way that a child should obey his parents. Honor your father and your mother. Now both, verse 2, Jesus, the bridegroom, and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Right? When they ran out, the mother of Jesus the mother of Jesus said to him they have no wine now immediately you know the moment you said they have no wine you know if you read it with a natural eye yeah okay they're having a wedding and there's a shortage stop the boat when you have communion what is the, what is the cup of representing The covenant, everybody say covenant. The messianic age begins with him present. Uh, I'm taking away two points for his wrong doctrine on the Lord's Supper. So close, yet so far. Taking water and converting it into wine. The washing of water by the word... Titus, the washing of regeneration of new life of... Good cross-reference. I'll give you two points back for that. The Word, being a doer of the Word, it purifies your life. Yeah, no, you lose the two points again. You were doing well, and then you added the works righteous bit into it. John 77, you already pure through the words that I've spoken. Okay, if you're a doer of the Word, you're blessed in what you do. And here we have the covenant symbol of the wine. This ain't no ordinary wine. This is the way God does it. So it is miraculous wine and the water and the wine. The water and the wine. Yeah, see, this is the thing. He doesn't understand sound biblical hermeneutics and he doesn't understand the proper distinction of law and gospel. So he knows... Something is significant going on. Water, wine, water, wine. And he doesn't know what to do with it. We know what happened when he was on the cross. How that he had the last supper and how blood and water came out of him at the time of the crucifixion. When 
true. Now what's it mean? And his side was pierced. And he says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Here you talk about wine. God sees covenant. His mother said... To yeah, you lose another point for that. ...to the servants. Here is now a key verse. It changed my life. Takes me back in time when I heard that. Now I stand here. Whatever... Everybody say whatever. I mean, that is a broad statement. Whatever he says to you, do it. Put it in practice. In a world that is being des watch this now, desensitized. Children are being desensitized to monsters and demons with these children cartoons on a massive scale. So monsters become friends. Yeah, you lose another five points for weird scare tactic regarding, you know, kids watching cartoons. Awake, O body of Christ, around the world and everybody watching on the internet. They are becoming used to immorality and the new normal. Yeah, monsters in a cartoon do not necessarily make a child immoral. And you have to only ask one question. Is that in the Bible and does God approve that new normal? Approve or not approve? Did he speak about it and did he give his opinion about that? And if he says yes, if he says no, that's the end of the story. There is no new normal. By the way, I studied in psychology, and as I started with the postgraduate studies, when the Lord took me and then took me into now being a minister and changed my direction of study, I did psychology, and I graduated in psychology and then did psych psychometry, which is psychological testing, aptitude testing, that the course for that and qualified for that also. And there was a big thing, always the... the in the universities for what is normal and abnormal, that is in terms of psychology. Then when the Lord took me, I realized to be Christ-like is to be normal. Look at Jesus. I mean, what a revelation I got after my years of study of psychology. And the whole thesis, the whole dissertation of what is normal and abnormal. Just look at Jesus. And whatever he says, do it. And then somebody in that service gets up and says, I stand at the door and I knock. Now there was set six water pots of stone. Six is the number of the earth, is the number of man, is the number of the fallen nature. Okay? And now there is wine about to come from God. There were 
six water pots of stone. I will take your stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. I'll change you from the inside out. It's written in the Bible. According to the manner of purification of the Jews, the water kept at a wedding, the jars containing water were, they were, you wouldn't give dirty water to your guests, now would you? And by the way, by the way, Jesus, all his disciples are there. His mother is their family. Now, in the midst of that, in the ancient world, when you have a wedding, everybody comes. All right? There are those that just ignore it. But in the ancient world, in those villages, Nazareth could have been about 400 people in that time, if that much. This is even a smaller place, small village. There are a whole bunch is there. But in the midst of them stands the Messiah. And his mother says, like we would say in flat Afrikaans, do not they for you say. This one is blessed in what he does. You get the results if you follow the right pattern. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. Now, I need to first read that verse 6 again. Six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification. God, the Messiah, would purify us to become. He would prepare the bride. I have much to say about that, O Lord. Of the Jews containing what? 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Now, why is give two numbers, 20 and 30? Again, 20, covenant, covenant, covenant cup. This is God's wine, like the blood of Jesus. We partake of that, all right? 20 is when you come into the kingdom of God, you become one of God's soldiers, and you wear the full armor of God. Come on now. Uh, it's like, what on earth? I'm just taking away five more points for not making any sense. How many of you are soldiers of the Most High God and you wear the armor of God? I hope you have ever confessed the armor of God over your life, Ephesians 6. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Gird your loins with the truth. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith. Wherewith you quench all the fiery thoughts of the enemy. And the sword of the spirit of the word of God. How many of you have ever taken up the full armor of God over your life? 20 is anointed to be. Yeah, the the full armor of God has nothing to do with uh, John chapter 2. A warrior of God. 30 is anointed to be in service or a servant of the Lord. Yeah, this is getting embarrassingly bad as far as the point count. He's so far in the negative, it's not even funny. There's no way he can turn this around and win. Or to serve in the priesthood. And you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy people of God. Fill the water pots with with water. And they filled them to the brim. Everything God does is perfect. And he said to them, now, draw some, he didn't say water, out now and take it to what is known as the master, which really in the, in the dictionary, really it means the, um, 
the master of ceremony. The, the, no, uh, in the ancient world, they had a what you what you call a coordinator of the wedding. A wedding co- it's almost like the like uh, you have an MC or you have a uh, a person. Yeah, like the master of the wedding feast, right? Person that does all the announcements or coordinate. But this is more like uh, the in the in the Greek here describes the the chief steward. Okay, in charge of seeing that this wedding, everything goes well. And by the way, they, those weddings, by the way, by the way, by the way, normally lasted up to as much as eight days at times. So do a little bit of calculation here and find out that they had first used wine. They thought it was enough. And now... They needed more, so there must have been a lot of people to consume that much that Jesus said, fill it to the brim. God gives enough. Come on, come on. He always gives enough. All right, let's give the Lord a praise of him. Now he says, and they took it. And when the master of the feast, which in Hebrew is uh, Architrikilinos, I'm not so good with this Greek, which means the head steward, had tasted the water that was now made wine, he did not know where it came from. But the servants that listen to what he said, there are servants that are obedient doers. There are servants that just... Another negative five points. Improper use of the law here. Wow, is this really getting embarrassingly bad. We continue... Not doing what he says. Who had drawn the water knew the master. Okay, let me read that again. He did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. First time now the bridegroom comes in the picture and said to him, Every man, watch this now, verse 10. Every man at the beginning sets out good wine. Then the inferior. But you switched the whole thing around. You kept the good wine until now. So why would that be? In the ancient world, there's actually several words for wine in the New Testament. Okay? Describing really powerful, strong stuff. That you shall not eat stay before Okay, and you know there, there are several words for it, but but now he's, he's saying something very important. He says they normally give the good stuff first, but you swung that thing around because they 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 thought that was the best, and when they were all now happy happy at the wedding, whatever sort of wine that was, man's Man's wine. When they're now nice and happy and their taste buds were deadened, then normally they would bring out the good wine, save it for last, 
because they wouldn't use so much fun. Because no, 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 and we're having days of those weddings were not like ours. I went to Pastor Clive's daughter's wedding the other day. That thing started at seven o'clock. We got to that bedroom. I don't know what time of night. It was like nine o'clock, about nine o'clock. From th- it's as if he has no clue what this text really is all about. It's you know, it's really kind of embarrassing watching him wander around kind of aimlessly. Three o'clock is like a six-hour-long wedding. But I mean, they had wedding, and they had the most brilliant wedding there in Durban. And uh, hallelujah. Okay, Yili Owens from Bible times when they had a wedding. You want to study Jewish weddings and see how those things in the ancient world could go on. So what happened here is Bad stuff, seemingly first good stuff, last. Right? Right. Right? Right, yeah. God. If you do what he says. Uh, Wrong. (laughs) He's losing five more points for this. Always keeps... The best for last. In other words, breakthrough miracle follows obedience. Yeah, you lose another 10 points for that. Breakthrough miracle follows obedience. That's not what this text is about at all. Wow. When you take in the covenant blood and the bread and the washing of water of the word, and you begin to become a practicer of the word. We simply call that a doer. The Messianic age begins with wine. It ends with the Last Supper. I mean, Jesus' life on earth type time, if I say like that. I mean now specifically the ministry time of Jesus. It begins with the water into wine, it ends with the Last Supper, it ends with the cross and his own blood. And it says, this was the beginning of signs that he did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. The word manifest means literally showed them the glory. It's going to get better in your life if you're a doer of the word. If- oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, this is awful. Another five points for that. If you obey what God tells you to do, it's going to get better. There's a miracle change over to the best stuff that comes towards the end of your life. If you had the good things first and it ran out, it will be a bitterness at the end of life because nobody wants secondhand man-made stuff when you can have God-made stuff. You can have a miracle coming from God and you've got to... Yeah, but you got to earn it by, you know, doing the word, you know. Why should I, why would I want to ever have man-made stuff? There are people that will forever drink only the bad stuff. Until they listen. I have no idea what he's talking about. I like the Afrikaans word, word say, 
I suppose in English you would say you better get ears. I don't know if that's all right, it's like saying it because I'm actually not English. So what am I if I'm not English? A uh, false prophet. I know I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is Christ, is Lord of my life. Everybody say, Jesus is Lord of my life. Yeah, and now you're talking about yourself again. Here we go. More points deducted. It's getting to be a huge number here. You do what he says, the blessing increases. There comes a change. There's all covenant stuff here. I close with this. Just exactly how many blessings is contained in that covenant? I have no idea. How many? When he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, in my blood, this blood is for you. The cup signifies the covenant. And today, I cannot urge you stronger than a human being is not capable of doing that. But to say this in closing, just do what he says. Yeah, that's all law. Yeah, and uh, the problem is is that we're sinners by nature. Have you read Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, I do, the things I want to do, I don't do? Who will save me from this body of death? Yeah, whew, super heavy on law. Not law to convict you of your sin and then the cross and Christ crucified to forgive you of your sins. Just do what he said. R- right, yeah. That's a formula for self-righteousness and ultimately ending up in the, um, well, in the pit of hell. Because uh, what does Paul write in Galatians 5? You who would be justified by the law, good works and things like that, you've been severed from Christ and you've fallen from grace. Amen? And thou shalt be blessed with sudden change from the ordinary to what Clive Gopal calls the uncommon favor, what is not common, the supernatural. You convert yourself in the land of blessing and provision for Messiah has touched you and converted you. Yeah, this is all pious sounding, but it doesn't mean anything. Five more points deducted. You into a warrior that is blessed of God with an anointed shield of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and He's made you a servant, and you are a royal priesthood. You are kings and priests. You yeah, preaching about them, not Jesus. Another five points. We continue reigning this life in Christ Jesus, but you need to do what He says, and it will happen. Why? Because, as one thing Mary said, she said. Just do it. Everybody say, just do it. Stand up. Let's give the Lord a praise. Don't forget, buddy, right now. Just do it. And give the Lord a praise. Just do it. Yeah, that's the slogan for Nike. Not, it has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. No. Come on. Oh, Lord Jesus. 
Father, we could just think by ourselves. Yeah, he's praying, so we're done. Okay, tally this up. Negative points. He did not he did not end up in the positive. Negative 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60, 65, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, 95, 100, 105, 106, 107. Yeah, that was what we would call a wipeout landslide for our sermon cage fight. Uh, Pastor Swirla with positive 56 and <laughs> our man from South Africa, um, Harold Weitz. Uh, yeah, him coming in at negative 107. I would say that was a definitive slaughter, if you know what I mean. One-sided, totally, and I mean, just absolutely miserable. You know, the the punchline at the end is just do it. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> law. So you got law to diagnose your problem and law to solve your problem. That ain't gonna solve your problem. It's repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and then bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Wow, was that just. <laughs> miserable what did you think love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian till tomorrow may god richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by jesus christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins amen <laughs>